You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. I'm Sarah Ank. Um, I preached back in April, and Andrew asked me to do it again. So, yay! (laughs) Um, I'm excited to share Psalm 86 with you this morning. So I wanted to start our time looking at this passage with a question. And the question is this. When was a time that you were aware of or experienced God's faithfulness? When was a time that you were aware of or experienced God's faithfulness? And as you think about that question, Maybe something comes to mind immediately, but if it doesn't, it's okay. I give you lots of time to think and process, and we'll come back to that at the end of the sermon. For me, there's been certain situations that I can point back to when I experienced God's faithfulness. Some of those times were gentle reminders as I wrestled with a decision, while others stretched out over a season of life when I had to be more intentional with noticing God's faithfulness. So as I, was, as I was reflecting on this passage, um, one season that came to mind for me was the summer of 2017. My family had been going through a tough few years of noticing a change in behavior in my dad. And that summer, after a sudden fall, it was discovered that my dad had a softball-sized benign brain tumor that had most likely been growing for several de- decades, so most of my life. So while my family was thankful to finally have an answer for the changes that we were seeing in my dad, it was not lost on us that an intense surgery and a long recovery was in our future with an uncertainty of the residual effects. So my dad underwent a 24-hour brain surgery, and we're so thankful just for the outcome, because he's sitting here with us today. Um, I was going to really try not to be emotional. I practiced this so much, but praise God, right? (laughs) Um, And I think it's also important to mention, as my dad was going through that, um, I also had experienced my third miscarriage in five and a half months. So... This was a a pretty big deal for me, for someone who had not had much experience with terribly distressing events in my past. This was a season of enormous change for me, a season that I couldn't reason my way out of or hope my way through. And it was the first time that I, I think I truly didn't know how to trust in God. So, what did my faith posture look like in this confusing season as I wrestled to know and experience God's faithfulness? Looking back, I had experienced some times of uncertainty previous to that summer, um, but this was the first time I really questioned what faithfulness to God and from God looked like as I waded through deep waters of anger and confusion and grief. 
Much of that season, I felt less confident in the waiting and tried pushing through on my own in order to reach my desired outcome. And yet, during times of feeling angry, I did have that ounce of me that cognitively knew I wanted to stay connected to God. Even if I couldn't pray or I was holding my faith at arm's length, I still wanted to hold on. If all I had in that season was the image of God sitting near me, that had to be enough. So when I read Psalm 86 or or listen to it, I see David in a similar posture of faith. He's in the season of lament, a deep aching of his heart. David is living in this paradox of despair in his current experience while holding out his hand of hope in this great deity that he truly believes will help him. And I think he's able to hold both the hope and despair because he's been taught of God's faithfulness for generations and experienced God's faithfulness firsthand in his past. It is much more than just a cognitive acknowledgement of hope in God. It's a deep, sincere belief that God will take care of him even in a hopeless situation. So in kind of as we're learning about a psalm of lament, um, Walter Brueggemann also says Psalm 86 can be categorized as a psalm of disorientation. And um, I do want to point out before we get into this disoriented idea, um, reading this psalm does not make you disoriented. So I want to make sure as we're reading through some of these psalms, you will not become disoriented. Rather, the psalm meets us when we're already disoriented. And so a lot of times when we're reading through these psalms, as we have the summer, we may experience them depending on how we are in that season. And he suggests that psalms can be categorized based on one of the three places that we regularly find our soul. Um, Yeah, so you can read these three places up here. So the first one is orientation. And this is a place where everything makes sense in our lives. Faith is both important and satisfying. There's a confidence and a serene settlement in our faith issues. So that's the first one. The second place that we can find our soul is disorientation. And that's a place where we've sunk into a pit. Incoherence and unrelieved asymmetry is experienced, and we have lost our bearings, we feel out of sorts, and we're unsure of what steps to take. And then the third place that we find our soul is a place where we realize God has lifted us out of this pit into a new place of gratitude and awareness about our lives in God, and that is reorientation. So, Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And so I think Psalm 86 is appropriately categorized into disorientation as we see that David's soul is a plea of this emotional, mental, and spiritual pit in which he finds himself. So as we're looking at these three places, maybe this evokes a thought of where you find yourself in this season. And I know the dark night of the soul has been mentioned a few times in previous sermons, and it's a season when God feels absent or silent. And I think it would feel much like this description of Psalms of Disorientation, the season that for any reason or circumstance, you find yourself in a spiritual wandering. 
Your soul is not living in a state of orientation when things make sense or in a state of reorientation when you have a new way of experiencing the presence of God. Our soul feels disoriented. And maybe because we are experiencing silence from God, our response is to keep quiet as well. Or maybe at some point in that season, our response is to keep reaching toward God while we still walk in this disoriented soul because even in our wondering, in our wandering, in our worry, we still want to experience the presence of God in order to come to a place of reorientation. And I think we see this wrestling of disorientation while meandering through our faith from David in Psalm 86. So, let's get into the verses with all of that said. Um, We'll take a look at the first seven verses, and this is where we see David's request to listen and provide answers. In verse 1, David describes himself as poor and needy. And as he moves into verse 2, this poor in spirit tone carries through as he establishes his relationship with God, one that is a covenant a servant to his master, and one who trusts in the one who can be trusted. In verse 2, David reminds himself and God of his commitment, despite being in a season of hardship. He says, guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts you. You are my God. I think uh, the Bible Project does a really great job of defining this covenant that we see between God and David. They say a covenant is a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. Covenants define obligations and commitments, but they're different from a contract because they are relational and personal. We see that David is holding both a deep need for God to step in and a deep trust in him. This psalm holds both praise and lament, even within the same verse. This prayer affirms the cyclical nature of our own lives. We can often have praise that comes forth in the midst of cries to God as we struggle to deal with our sorrow and our fear. And then verse 4 really shows David's desire. Not only does he speak or ask God to guard his life, which is his request in the first three verses, and as we'll see in the following verses, a request to relieve him from distress. But in this verse, he asks God to bring him joy. And it's kind of like he's saying, God, save my life. Help me not to feel extremely overwhelmed. But what I desire most is for you to restore my joy. So moving on to verses 8 through 13, we see a shift where he is crying out, desperate need, and then we shift to him exhibiting prayer and thanksgiving to God. And this is where we really see David's trust in God's faithfulness, which is a really big contrast, right? And even compared to other psalms, this is a big flip from pleading with God to wholeheartedly praising him. Dr. Beth Tanner makes this interesting observation. 
the juxtaposition here causes the hearers or readers to work at how these two sections are related. And from working at that connection, hearers become active participants in doing their own theological work. So when we observe this contrast, when we're reading this, it should cause us to think more about the impl implications of David's heart in our own hearts. And then David then responds in verses 11 through 13 to this assurance of God's faithfulness by sharing God, with God his commitment to the relationship. And moving on to verses 8 through 10, it focuses more on God's mercy. So we know from David's life, right, that he's made some morally reprehensible mistakes and wavered in his faithfulness to God. But God remained faithful and showed compassion towards David throughout his life. He showed David the same mercy as he did the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament because of his covenant. So a lot of the same thing, themes here that we see um, throughout, throughout Scripture. And then in verse 11, moving into verse 12, we see this disintegrated state of David more into desperation for God's faithfulness. Verse 11 ends with David's plea, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. We sang about this in our, in our um, song earlier. But David is feeling so disintegrated at this point that he cannot think of anything else but to be unified with God. And this shifts to a desperate prayer of praise in verse 12, where he says, I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. And it's like David is saying, everything within me feels out of sorts. I don't know what to do anymore or where to turn. Instead of having this divided heart, I ask that my heart would be fully in experience with your goodness and faithfulness. In the book, Open and Unafraid, author W. David O. Taylor says, the psalmist praises God despite his feelings. But he also understands that we cannot do this alone. Left on our own, we will often give up, and we need others to help us. In the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, the priest prays, give them an inquiring and discerning heart, the courage to will and to persevere, a spirit to know and to love you, and the gift of joy and wonder in all your works. Moving on to verse 13, we see that David is not blaming God, but he's sharing his distress, which I don't know about you, but I, I've never experienced someone coming after my own life. But I would think, in David's case, he would want to, to blame and wreak havoc on his, um, on his enemies. But, um, and, and, and blame God. But here, David uses a lot of you statements, which typically when people use you, it's accusatory, right? Like, you did this, God. You, you, you made this happen. But throughout the psalm, the you statements that David uses are focusing on God's goodness. Almost like David is willing himself to believe in God's goodness in the midst of distress. And I, I think it's important here to say, too, if you 
do blame God in situations in your life when you're in sorrow and grief and confusion, it is not unbelief. God is great enough to carry your sorrow and will receive your cry out to him. And this is an act of faith, commitment to God, even when nothing makes sense. So moving on to the last few verses, verses 14 through 17, this passage, this part of the passage shifts again um, where we see another request. So David is requesting, pleading. He's grounding himself and thanking God, but then comes back to this request for God to act. And... Although David has just declared his praise to God, it is obvious that his situation has not been resolved. And I think that's really important to think about too because God didn't fix everything immediately when David declared his faithfulness and request for help. And this is also faith, holding both sincere praise and desperate prayer. Verse 15 calls back to Exodus 34.6 when describing Yahweh as compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And David has not only known these characteristics of God in his own life, but uses the experiences of Israel, a nation who's also known distress and reliance on God. In verse 16, David is asking for three things, God's mercy, strength, and safety. And this again, he is not asking God to wreak havoc on his enemies, which is our natural inclination to get back at those or, or pray that vengeance will come upon them. But here we see that God asks for personal strength, or David asks for personal strength from God. In verse 17, when David pleads to God, give me a sign of your goodness, he's undoubtedly thinking of the many incredible ways that God has shown his love and faithfulness in the past and using those landmarks as a way to hope. And we see this hope in the rest of verse 17 when he says, that the enemies may see it and be put to shame, for you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Derek Kidner says this of Psalm 86, specifically these last few verses. Its form is simple, with an opening and closing supplication, punctuated by a deliberate act of praise. Deliberate because the final verses reveal no abatement of the pressure and no sign as yet of an answer. So... The end of Psalm 86 doesn't leave us with a satisfied ending. Sorry. But if we did not know what becomes of David, including his line to Jesus and ultimately the salvation of the world, we would read this and feel kind of yucky, like stuck in the state of disorientation. And I think why this psalm may give us an uneasy feeling is because our westernized evangelical experience tries to get to the nicely wrapped present at the end of the sermon, the platitude of everything will be okay because of faith. And please hear me, I'm not saying that isn't true. 
We need to believe in God's faithfulness and comfort. But the psalm is also meeting us in the reality of our humanity. These psalms of lament can help the church, Big C Church, better understand the human experience as it interacts with our faith in God. Brueggemann also talks about this type of psalm of darkness where it may give those who have been told that questioning God's faithfulness or wondering where God is in moments is an act of unfaith, when in reality it's an act of bold faith to bring these things to God when we feel disoriented. He says there's nothing out of bounds, nothing precluded or inappropriate. Everything properly belongs in conversations of the heart. To withhold parts of life from that conversation is in fact to withhold part of life from the sovereignty of God. To withhold parts of life from that conversation is in fact to withhold part of life from the sovereignty of God. Thus, these psalms make the important connection, everything must be brought to speech. And everything brought to speech must be addressed to God, who is the final reference for all of life. Everything properly belongs in this conversation of the heart. The state of disorientation when we feel a disconnect from God is not a typical way to end the sermon. Again, sorry. (laughs) Many sermons I'm used to hearing end with a platitude or an affirmation of go do the thing. Just go do it. But what I'm asking of us is to be attentive to our faith posture in this current season. Maybe you are in a dark night of the soul right now. You're walking through fog in your faith, and you can't feel the comfort of God. Maybe you're in a season where you can see God, like way out there, but not sure how to interact with him. Or maybe he's a little closer. Maybe he's sitting with you in the midst of your pain and confusion. Or maybe he's holding you and you feel his presence, you see his goodness. And it's important to know that all of these postures are representations of faith. In lament, in the wondering, in the wandering, they do not have to be dismissed. They're they're bold acts of faith. Um, So my posture of faith has been all of those things in the past five years. And at the beginning of this year, in 2023, I started meeting with a spiritual director because I had noticed my changing faith posture and just wasn't quite sure what to do with it. I was asking lots of questions and excited to learn more, and I just didn't know how to interact with it. And so the For my first meeting with my spiritual director, she asked to share my faith journey. So all of those landmarks in my faith that had meant something to me in different ways. And I could share as much or as little as I wanted to, whatever I felt was important. And it was an incredible practice for me to reflect and name the ways in which I noticed little or big shifts in my faith. And then how God interacted with me and how I interacted with God. In the months that followed, the theme that kept coming up in my sessions was this idea that I was not feeling strong in my faith. And I didn't really know how else to word that. That didn't feel quite right, but that's what I kept coming back to. 
And as I explored that more and shared my thoughts with my spiritual director, one session she just asked me, what does that mean, being strong in your faith? And followed up with, what does faithfulness look like for you in this season? And as, as I reflected on the times in my past that I've experienced God's faithfulness and distance and love and kindness, I shared ways that I believed and acknowledged that God still mattered to me. Through my confused prayer, my relationships, and my overwhelm, and in my trust and joy that I will see his goodness in the midst of it all. So last time I preached, I did a practice where we reflected and took some time for stillness and quiet. So I wanted to keep practicing with you all this morning. Um, and just wanted to help us all kind of reflect on this posture of faith that we have right now. So I invite you to find a comfortable position in your chair as we reflect. And you're welcome to close your eyes if that's helpful. Or just have a soft gaze in the, on the floor in front of you. Whatever helps you feel calm but alert. And take one deep breath in and out. And as you continue to breathe and quiet your heart and your mind and your body, I wonder as you think back to the question I asked at the beginning of the sermon, when was a time that you acknowledged or experienced God's faithfulness. If a situation or a season comes to mind for you, just be in that moment and notice what that memory feels like for you. What emotions come to mind? Do you remember what it felt like back then? Does it feel different for you now? And even the act of just remembering, bringing that experience back to your mind is an act of connecting with God. And as you remember that time of God's faithfulness towards you, I wonder, what does being faithful to God mean for you right now? And without judgment, you can think of your own posture of faith as it relates to your faithfulness to God. Are you wondering wandering? Are you feeling tender, distant, or absent in a season of joy? 
as we close our time of reflection, you can continue to breathe with your eyes closed or remain with a soft gaze as I pray a benediction from writer Tanner Olson. Blessed are you who wait and then wait some more. Blessed are you who watch the lives around you receive the answers to the prayers you have been praying. Blessed are you who have grown tired of feeling stuck and behind, exhausted from tossing and turning at night, wondering if everything will be all right. Blessed are you who find yourselves in a world of constant questions, unwanted answers, and unwelcome changes as you watch the life you dreamed of float away. Blessed are you who wrestles the loud lies that find their way inside your mind. For you are not a burden. For you are not behind. For you are not unwanted. For you are not forgotten. Blessed are you who fights to cling to the truth. For you are loved. For you are seen. For you are heard. For you are chosen. Blessed are you who continue to hold hope close as you wait and wait some more. In your waiting and wrestling, may you remember you are loved and seen by the one who has not, does not, and will not leave you or your family, even when you begin to wonder if you've been forgotten. And as you learn to wait well, may you hold tight to stubborn hope. When you feel like your season of waiting will never cease, may you remember that beyond what you can see, change and growth are happening under the surface. And may all your life, your fantastic, dirty, messy, holy life, be a prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.